0: Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Open World Podcast podcast. I'm a little bit nervous for today's episode because this guy we have today, he works about 20 hours a week. And he says that anyone who's working more than that, whether you're working 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours, if you're in that bracket, which I definitely am at the moment, and he says, you're working too hard, you're going to burn yourself out. (laughs) So I'm ready to take a whipping in this episode. But I have the pleasure of hosting my friend, James Schramko. And he was actually a guest previously on the podcast. He has a new book called work less earn more and i really wanted i'm really excited to pick his brain about how to well basically how to work less and earn more james thanks for being here
1: thank you danny um small correction there it's work less make more although i almost went with earn more there was a bit of a debate over that because other people have used a similar wording on their book which is, I'm sure you found a challenge when you're publishing something. All the good ideas are taken.
0: The, the idea I found was uh, when I did my sleep hacking book, I was trying to come up with a picture and there was a bunch of sleeping babies and I was like, I don't want to put a picture of a sleeping baby on my cover. So I had to come up with something original. So I know that it, it can be tough trying to stand out in a crowded marketplace. But whenever I'm looking for your book on my machine, I just type in, and my search for my Mac, I just type in work less. And then there you are, you know. So it's, it's really good. It's a very benefit-rich title.
1: <laughs> it definitely says what it does. And also, you know, I do want to be kind and say, look, it's totally fine if you want to work more. And I provide us a, a metric that you can use to measure how effective your working hours are. If you want to work more and you enjoy it, that's totally cool. I mean, ultimately, you've got to be happy with your own life. My book really was published to help my kids who are at that formative age of between 15 and 22. And I just wanted to give them an alternative to what they might find at university or just doing a regular job like most people do. And like I had, I was a salaried employee at one stage and I felt uh, that I was at extreme risk that at any point I might lose my job. And this was a valid concern given that I was in a high-level job in a luxury car segment at the time of the global financial crisis uh, starting to unravel itself in the United States. And I felt particularly vulnerable. And as you uh, would have discovered in the book, it happened to my dad. So it was a fresh imprint from my uh, you know, younger time when I was around 19 or 20. The exact same thing happened to my dad. So I recognized this pattern and I wanted to create a situation where I really could actually enjoy my life more. So that's why the subtitle talks about building a profitable business and a life you actually love. Because I think some people are actually unhappy in life. And I wanted to be able to give them a solution in case they were unhappy and they wanted to do something about it.
0: Yeah, more than just some people, James. Um... And I think I had a conversation recently where as long as you're doing what you love, whether it's enjoying, you know, playing or whether you're working, um, then that's that's fine. You know, if you love your work and you lose yourself in it, then by all means, you know, you can work. But if you find yourself like if you ever find that you're stuck doing work, that's not meaningful or you're bored to tears or you're stuck on a hamster wheel, you're not really getting ahead like you look back uh, it's, it's the start of 2018. So if you look back at this time in 2017 and you feel like you haven't made any progress, then that's the point when you need to pick up this book and do some introspection, you know, do some reflection, see where it is you actually want to go in your life. And you're going to love this interview. If you want to, uh, I'm going to pick James brain and get some insights, but I want to, uh, I had someone to tell a little bit more about your backstory. Um, you have the super fast business brand. You have a podcast Um, you're actually, I know there's a bunch of people that talk about lifestyle. We've interviewed tons of lifestyle entrepreneurs for this podcast, but you're one of the only ones that's earning six figures a month while working about 20 hours a week. And you also are the creator of silver circle, a private mastermind for six figure and seven figure business owners. So you're kind of like the business guru that the gurus go to. And, um, I just got a ton of respect for you, man. You're you're one of the guys that I always listen to. I always, um, Whenever you you post something new, I'm I'm all about uh, seeing what I can learn from you.
1: Well, that's very kind. And, you know, I've taken an interest in you, Danny, and we've exchanged podcasts before. And I got a lot of value from the books that you've written. So it's nice that you can hang out online with people who might be in a different country or at a different stage in life. We can really learn a lot from each other. And i found that my best teachers um, often don't even know they're teaching me a lesson. It, it could be anybody. It could be the person who is at the local mall on a Sunday night when I come out of the cinema and they're cleaning the bin and they might go about that with precision and real professionalism. And I, I think that person, you know, they could bitch and moan about their role and blame society and the government and everyone else or they could just use that as a pathway on the way to something else and they can just do the best they can with that job so people can teach you stuff even out there just circulate in society but uh, when people have a particular expertise I love to find out uh, what it is that they'd like to share and then start applying that into my own life.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Everyone has something that they can teach you. Everyone has their own unique set of experiences and you can find teachers in unexpected sources,
1: right? Oh, everywhere. And, and that's that's the wonderful thing about travel, which I'm sure you're somewhat of an expert at now. Uh, you, Your world map expands and your uh, experiences and your context and your appreciation and perhaps your gratitude uh, expands the more you travel the more uh, different situations you see, it allows you to sort of start uh, forming recognition patterns. And, and uh, I know that when I travel to the same place over and over again, like I'm, I'm up to something like 20 visits to the Philippines. It's becoming second nature to me. Uh, when I go there, I'm quite used to the navigation and the culture and the words and the food and uh, family now as um, I have family there. And it's, it's just becoming like an extension of the world that I know, whereas some people never really roam 20 or 30 miles from the, ha- the house they grow up in, uh, especially in some more isolated regional areas, uh, say in the middle of America. A lot of people are quite insular. And I'm just blessed that um, you know we've turned these things into opportunities and we're able to get out there and exchange so I love going to events as well where other people interchange ideas it's it's like a hotbed of stimulation
0: yeah and travel has changed me so many ways like in so many different ways like and I love that I can kind of put together a collection of viewpoints and uh, a collection of perspectives that others have introduced me to and kind of define who I am rather than having some kind of label or you know something forced onto me like my cultural conditioning and that's one of the most rewarding things is being able to really break free from that and you know like you said like your teachers come in unexpected places I'm here in Vietnam and it amazes me you know some of these like 55 year old women that are you know up at like five in the morning and they're pushing carts around or you know just really hustling and I'm like wow I could not live that life you know so it's like but, but I'm really inspired by them, you know, like just how hard they work and how hard they hustle. And they don't really seem like they're upset about it. You know, they just seem like they're, they're really engaged in what they're doing. And um, for them, you know, that works for them. And they've, they've found their way through life that works for them. And I think that's what everyone should do is that everyone should find, uh, find out who they really are and do that through a collection of outside perspectives, you know, like absorbing a lot of different points of view and then kind of deciding who you want to be.
1: Absolutely, and also it makes you appreciate how easy we've got it, uh, where we've grown up, and our ethnicity, and um, one thing I've noticed when I travel to some of those places, it's like being a tall, white, male, Westerner. Uh, They treat me uh, with a lot of respect, and I was just wondering if if the shoe was on the other foot if I was the foreigner in the big white Western world and I was treated the opposite, how hard that must be. And it really makes you aware of things like racial tension and prejudice and bias and, and how so many of these issues crop up. You know, human beings are fascinating people. You're in Australia, people want to get brown. And in Asia, they want to get white. <laughs> it's, it's like people want what they can't have. Uh, or the opposite of what they are. It's really very interesting.
0: And so much of that is just an opinion that's, you know, forced upon us by our society or by other people. And it's not even, you know, I James, I spent like 25 years of my life where I feel like my points of view, my opinions were not even my own. You know, they were just like uh, someone else's ideas of how I should live. And for me, that was really like um, whenever I start trying to live up to those Meaningless ideals, or whenever I so sort of, whenever I'm comparing myself to other people, trying to have what they have, uh, that kind of forces me into a dark corner. And um, that I really feel like leaving home and you know living abroad helped me break free of that and decide what my most important goals. You know, what do I really want to achieve with my life? How do I want to live? What's my essence that makes up who I am?
1: Absolutely, yep. It's it's vital. So um, f- for me, in many ways. Reading other people's books gave me perspectives and windows into their world, and sort of a toolkit that I could apply in my own life. And that's how, I think, in uh, the the tw- in my twenties and thirties, I really reprogrammed myself from from scratch. And maybe listening to some cassettes from Maxwell Maltz, talking about psycho cybernetics, was really interesting. And I read other books like uh, Talk and Grow Rich, not Think and Grow Rich, which of course I read, as everyone has. But but reading these books made me think about stuff and try different things and to step away from the way that society's programmed us. And I think the reason people are unhappy, if they are, uh, and because they're doing their job, earning money to pay the mortgage and buy things to impress people, uh, is because they haven't really stepped outside of the system and question these things. So it's one of the key points that I make in my book, is you can actually question this stuff and you can take responsibility to make changes and have a different outcome than what you would have had.
0: Yeah, that's great. You mentioned Maxwell Maltz, and I was introduced to his work through Dan Kennedy. So um, if you want a good introduction to psycho-cybernetics, there's a book, No BS Time Management by Dan Kennedy. It's a great book. And um, it's kind of really just kind of ways of managing your mind so that you lead it in the direction that you want to take it so that it helps you to create the life that you want, correct?
1: Yes. It basically tells you that we are goal-seeking mechanisms and that we um, we take our inputs into our head and our brain sort of works on these things subconsciously. So if we focus on lack of money, then we keep attracting it. and if we um, do visualizations and mental rehearsals, we actually start forming the brain pathways that are no different from if we're actually doing the thing. So he talked about basketballers and archers visualizing uh, getting hoops or or the bullseye and that when they actually um, went to do the activity, the people who visualize will get better results. And athletes do this now and there's a lot of science supporting what he found but I think the whole premise of his book was that as a plastic surgeon he was trying to figure out why he would do an operation to make someone look prettier but they would still think they're ugly and so he realized there's a lot going on in our mind and that's what I thought was interesting and I, th- I think Dan Kennedy has something to do with the rights to that book or something to do with the association because I did see him in the modern updated version of it I've got a couple of different versions and I s- saw his name in one of the um, opening chapters
0: yeah, it's a really old book, and I think Maltz influenced a lot of gurus like Tony Robbins and others, and uh, Dan Kennedy created the new Psycho-Cybernetics, which is kind of an updated version, I believe.
1: Yes.
0: And I think there's something really important here, and you actually mentioned this in your book, and I want to dive into some of the things in your book, but you mentioned that the mind is a little bit like a train. Well, it's a lot like a train, basically. It goes down a direction, and uh, Richard Bandler, the co-founder of NLP, also says that um, you know, the mind isn't designed to get results. It goes in directions. So you have to be able to set your directions. And I think that a lot of people uh, today who just kind of they're really stuck in the middle of their thoughts and not really going in any particular direction. They kind of treat their mind like a search engine or, um, you know, like a computer. Like they, they come up with a thought and then they, they act on that thought or something, you know, and they don't really think about is that really a direction that I want to go in. Um, It's almost like, you know, search a term, like I think about something and then I search something and then I'm reading a few articles and suddenly I'm in a direction where I didn't even want to be in in the first place. So I think that it's really important. Like, you know, you set the mind in a direction and I'd like to talk about some ways that you do that. Like, do you use certain um, cues? Like, how do you prime yourself to become like fully engaged and, and perform at your most effective?
1: Well, I think it's good to visualize and think about what it is that you want, like spend some time thinking about what the future might be like and it might seem difficult at first but I'm pretty sure that I imagine uh, and I think that's the right word for what I do I imagine what's what's going to happen or how how it might pan out so this this will sound a little bit weird but probably an hour or so ago I was having a swim in the pool and the spa with my son and uh, we were chatting and then Uh, while we were just relaxing for a while, I was just imagining us talking on this podcast. So I was just anticipating uh, going back, uh, having a shower, getting ready for the podcast, having a glass of water, and then us talking. And I start thinking about what we might talk about. And I find that by the time we get here right now, at this point, it's not a surprise or a shock because I anticipated it. And we're doing exactly what I had in mind. Now sometimes it goes off track, but if you extend this theory to a slightly longer time period, uh, right now for uh, for next month, so in about five weeks from now, I will be in a different country at a specific event. So I'm starting to imagine who might be at the event. Uh, I'm booking tickets for it. I'm thinking about uh, where I might want to go afterwards, and I'm literally mapping out or planning the destination and the event. And by the time the the calendar rolls around and I'm on my way to the airport, none of it's a reactionary surprise. It's all been pre-planned. So the now me is setting my future me up for a better future. And I was talking about this exact topic with Dean Jackson today on a podcast. And he's right into this at the moment as well. That the little sacrifices and disciplines that we have today determine what happens to us in the future so back to your scenario of the person who's just reacting to everything going on around them they're really not setting themselves up for anything different in the future that will just continue to be the case so uh, what can you do about it put a a time period on it put a 12-week period perhaps where you think about between now and the next 12 weeks where would you like to go What, what would you like to be different would you like to still be working in the same job? Would you like to be having your own business? If you have your own business, would you like the business to be more profitable? Would you like to be working a little bit less? Would you like to spend more time with your partners, uh, with your kids? Uh, is there something you'd like to, to do or see or experience that you can start working on? If, you th- if you're thinking about that, then it's a matter of deciding you want that that it's important to you, that you're interested in it and motivated about it and then you simply work out what steps would have to happen for you to get that. That's kind of along a Dan Sullivan thought line. What has to happen for you to be able to achieve that and that is literally plotting the train tracks between the station that you're at now and the station you'd like to get to and along the way There'll be occasionally logs on the track because life has this uh, scenario where it throws curveballs at you. You've got to get out with a chainsaw and clear the tracks. And this will protect you to some extent from just getting dragged around by your inbox, which is what I think happens to most people and causes them to not be as successful as they could be. They're just reacting to the latest email and getting excited about a cryptocurrency or uh, a new business model. And then they go off track. And it's easy to go off track if you don't have a track. So set a track (laughs) and then set a review point and just have the discipline to say, well, no matter what comes across my bow, I'm going to continue on this journey till the next platform and then at that next platform, I'll review all the opportunities that have come up in the meantime. So this is about setting filters or... Uh, guardrails or if you're 10-pin bowling, putting up the bumpers and saying, you know, I can't go in the gutter here. I'm going to the 10-pins here. That's that's where I'm going. Nothing's going to yeah. stop me and I'm not going to get distracted and swayed off track. As soon as you start this discipline and commit to uh, a, a short-term routine of getting to that next stage, you start to build that muscle for it and then it becomes much easier. So it takes a lot for me to get dragged off track because I know where I'm going and no one's going to get in my way. And uh, once you reach momentum, then it's it's much easier for you to consider other options because you've already got that machine working for you.
0: So many directions I can go here, but um, I want to go back to what you said in the beginning. So you said that before you were on this podcast, you spent some time thinking exactly about uh, what you wanted to talk about on this call when you're. Uh, swimming when you're in the shower. Uh, About an hour before I had this interview, I was going through your book so that I could kind of wrap my head around what exactly I wanted to ask you, what we were going to talk about. And that's a really important point because a lot of people just kind of spend a lot of time reacting to things. But I know that people like Tony Robbins says that attention goes where energy flows. And uh, people like Jack Canfield, they say, give your mind a task before bed because your subconscious mind is going to start working on that. And by the time you wake up, you're already ready to, to jump into the task. You're not like starting from scratch, starting from zero. And it's a lot easier to accomplish things in your life when you're, it's a lot easier to score a touchdown when you're starting on the 90 yard line versus the zero yard line. Um, and, and I find that's key for me to get things done, is to make my work as easy as possible. And a lot of people feel like, um, in order to earn money, we really have to, to sacrifice. We have to really hustle and work hard. Like, um, I remember one example, I think it was Chris Gillibo and his book wrote that he hired someone to, he was locked out of his car and he hired someone to help him get back into his car. And it took like 30 seconds of work. And the guy was like, okay, that's $50 please. And he was like, outrageous, like what? $50, but it only took you 30 seconds. Um, but it's like, yeah, well, you know, we have to break that link of, you know, whether how long the time, uh, how long the time we spend on a task versus how much money we feel like we should earn because a lot of people feel like uh, we have to spend more, we have to work harder in order to earn more.
1: Yeah, it's a, look, it's a, that's a common story, that one Brian Tracy talks about that in Psychology of Selling about the dentist, that it only takes a few seconds to pull out the tooth and uh, when Brian complained about the price, he said, well, I can take longer if you want. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's one before that, and I think it might come from Tom Peters, and it's about a brewery that breaks down and a guy goes out and hits something with a hammer and fixes it and charges like, thousands of dollars. And they complain, and they said, well, it's you know you just got to know where to hit. Uh, so if we can disassociate this idea that, uh, that, that the time and money relationship uh, that helps a lot. So in in this book, I talk about measuring your activities and working out which ones are high value. So the example of someone opening a car is quite good because that the person doing that probably has a reasonably effective hourly rate for that type of activity. But he might be doing other stuff that's not as good, like cutting keys or something, you know, if he's a locksmith. Uh, but if he's a tow truck driver, uh, maybe some of his jobs are far more lucrative, like picking up and dropping off cars for a a car yard might pay him a lot better than uh, dragging a car away from a smash scene occasionally on the random chance occasion that it happens. He might have to sit around on the streets for hours waiting for someone to call in an accident on the scanner. So yeah, it's really a fascinating discussion. And I think what you were talking about with Jack Canfield is exactly what Maxwell Maltz was talking about, that we're programming our brain. So one thing that we can do that is very important and probably is not a far distant cousin from the NLP stuff you reference is the way that we talk to ourselves can be adjusted to get better results i th- I think we have probably, probably uh, we 've been parented with some pretty bad sayings that when changed, we can r- sort of flip the script on on how we 're communicating with ourselves so uh, an example if, if you 're a kid and uh, your parents uh, told you to Take a bowl of food from the kitchen to the dining room table. They might say, "Don't drop it," <laughs> and that's like the the it's a double negative, don't and drop. Uh, it's almost programming you to drop that plate because we don't process the negative, we can't process the the don't. So we're really just hearing "drop it," and it's like maximizing <laughs> our chance of drop it. And instead, we might rewire that to say, "Hang on to that plate, nice and tight." That's a positive. I remember
0: an example. I remember an example. They were uh, you speak to an alcoholic and you say stop drinking, and all they hear is drinking.
1: Right. Yeah, same <laughs> as don't smoke. It's like yeah. literally the government campaign here was don't smoke, or, uh, and that's telling people to smoke.
0: And I've I read that you know they've done surveys and they've done studies on this. Not surveys, excuse me. They've done scientific studies on this, and they find that when they They visualize that cue in their mind. There's an area of the brain that lights up. It's called the nucleus accumbens. It's like the craving center of the brain. So even though you're trying to associate uh, a cigarette with something negative or telling them, no, don't do that, that craving is so strong that they can't resist it. They can't logically say that, okay, this cigarette's going to cause me cancer, so I can't uh, smoke it. They want it so badly that they just simply can't resist, and trying to resist – they, give, they spend so much energy trying to resist that, uh, that craving.
1: And other things too, maybe they smoke because they want to be cool and a rebel. So if you tell them not to do it, it's probably a good indication they're gonna prove you wrong and do it anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, well I actually mentioned that in my, in my new book, in my growth hacking book about the, um, that craving center because I'm actually trying to teach people like this is how they should position their product. So that people have that strong craving for a product. So if you were selling cigarettes... Like Facebook. Exactly, yeah. Like, like feeling like that addiction to a product, like making a product addictive. And I know we're kind of going off in a different direction, but you're also an expert on like branding and positioning products, selling products. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like how do you create that? Like if I were to present my product and... Um, you know, I I might do I, I'm doing promotions and offers all the time. So sometimes nobody will respond. Sometimes I get a bunch of responses, and I feel like it's all about making people jolting them out of whatever place they're in now and saying, "Wow, I really need to get this now." And there was a great example I found by a, a copywriter. He told me about the 4 a.m. test. So if you're actually waking someone up at 4 in the morning and delivering your offer to them, saying. Uh, hey James, I found a ten dollars flight to uh, London. You know, but you have to book it within the next twenty minutes. That's something that's probably going to make you wake up and you know book that flight. Uh, but the thing is, like a lot of people, they don't really know how to position their products or sell their products in such a way that people really crave it and people really rush to buy the product.
1: Well, I think uh, it's hard to go past being relevant. If if you know your audience very well, and you Make relevant offers that would just simply help them be better off, and if they can recognize they would be better off, then this would definitely help you with conversions. So that really starts with knowing who your customer is, and uh, understanding how it, it solves a problem for them. Because I believe that people buy to be better off, and When we talk about selling, that's really just a process of change from one situation to a better alternative situation. If you can facilitate that process, if you can create an environment that lets someone see how much better off they would be, that helps. So things like case studies or demonstrations might help someone see how they'd be better off. If they can see a case study of someone just like them getting a result that they would also like to have, that could be quite compelling. And if they could try something and get a result with it before they even pay money, that would be good too. And that's something Dean Jackson talks about a lot, is creating a, a, winning, a win for them before you even ask for the next stage of the offer.
0: And that can come down to something like reciprocity too, whether you're you know, doing like a small favor for them before they ever purchase
1: anything from you, correct? Well, that's certainly one of the factors of influence. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of marketers are looking for a a toolkit of uh, tricks and uh, what really, uh, what I use anyway is I just know my customer quite well and I present to them a scenario where they could be better off if they move forward. So there's no pressure involved in that. It's mostly marketing and it removes the need for any kind of forced or heavy selling because selling isn't some dirty process that you use to cajole people as, as it seems to be by some of these uh, douchey marketers. They're doing it wrong and eventually that can backfire on them. I think if you have some yeah. finesse and if you actually care about people and you offer good results, then it's a good approach for you to you know just let people be your advocates. I've been stunned at the generous sharing of my book amongst my own community of people who have sort of stepped up and championed my book with no solicitation whatsoever, with no financial reward. They just like it and they want to share it with their community and they feel that I've helped them along the way uh, with either the book or some of the, the uh, decade worth of content prior to that, you know, like the, uh, <laughs> the overnight success that's taken 10 years. With exactly. That sort of scenario. I've I've put a fair bit of energy into this whole uh, mission, and now it's really paying off because I've built a lot of uh, goodwill and momentum, and never really asked for anything. I've I've been the person who doesn't ask for testimonials and doesn't ask people for re- reciprocal promotions, and I've always been extending my generosity first without really asking for anything, and. I got some of that from The Go-Giver, where he talks about people wanting uh, the fire to give them some heat, and if it does, they'll go and chop some timber and give it some logs. And that's just not how it works. you got to go and chop the timber first, and then light the fire, and then you get the heat. It's just not the other way around. And, and then it talks about the impossibility of, of giving without receiving, you cannot breathe out without breathing in, I guess unless it's your last breath. But If you do go around and chop wood and give it to people for their fire, sometime someone's going to invite you over to theirs and feed you. It's just inevitable that that, that return will come and you could expect that.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I've noticed that so many people that I've interviewed in the past, they say that, you know, the reason they're able to enjoy such an amazing lifestyle is because they put the time, you know, five, ten years in to build a brand, you know, to build a platform where and that's kind of how I feel now too, where I, I've built up I have enough reach where anytime I want to do promotion, I can sell it. Because i spent time blogging, I spent time podcasting, I spent time publishing books you know, distributing my books to anyone who wants to read them. And so this is how I have all of these leads or people coming to me, you know, scooping up what I have to buy. And that's the reason why like guys like you, guys like me, we never really have to work a job again because we've been putting in the time. And I think it's really a great long-term uh, strategy is to build up that brand. I know that a lot of people, and I don't really understand why they do this, but they don't even like to use their real name when they're marketing. You know, they use like a pen name to publish their books, or they're very private. They don't like to give out any personal details. Uh, what do you recommend for people that feel like um, it's like, well, you know, who am I, James? You know, I don't, I don't really know like the direction or purpose I want to go. Like, how do I create a brand for myself? You've done really well at creating a brand for yourself. What do you recommend for people that want to start doing this?
1: If they want to promote themselves, then. I'd probably point them to Chris Ducker's new book called Youpreneur. I talked to him today about it. His whole book is exactly that. It's how to put yourself into your marketing and brand yourself. And there's pros and cons for this. The pros are it's really easy to do. You can differentiate straight out of the gate because there's no other person like you. It's fast and easy compared to creating a faceless empire. Uh, The cons are it would be much harder to sell that and you're sharing stuff from your own life. So if you're super introverted or uh, you you like your privacy, then sticking yourself on Instagram every three minutes is not going to achieve that. So I've found uh, there's a good middle ground, which is where you start a business and make the business the hero and then, as an aside, you create some authority in your own name, and you can lend that to the business in the same way that Jobs did for Apple and Branson did for Virgin and uh, Besos does for Amazon and so forth. Uh, Buffett does for Berkshire Hathaway. You can have both if you want, and you can still create saleable assets that take a bit longer to build. And, uh, this is really where I spend a lot of my coaching time is on people who transcend that small-time scenario of a few hundred thousand dollars and go into a business scenario where they need to build a team and systems and scale and have an asset that they could actually sell. So there, it's much harder to do that and it certainly suits the more introverted people if they want to be the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. You can still do that. It's just a bit harder these days because things like facebook insist on a real name and people want transparency they they uh, you know they are tweeting and instagramming and facebooking in a real name so it's just a bit harder to hide behind the, into the shadows i think
0: and a lot of people are more interested in the entrepreneurs than they are the businesses themselves like elon musk is another example Yep. You know, he has a superhero based on his character, you know, um, and that's a lot, you know, he, Iron Man is based on Elon Musk and that's a lot more interesting than, yeah, he started PayPal or, um, but, but I think that once you have that personal brand, it's all transferable so that you have your supporters, you have your 1000 true fans uh, who will follow you no matter what project you do or what product you release. And that's exactly what you've enjoyed with this book as it seems, right?
1: Yeah, and and, uh, sort of speaking to that point, you don't need a massive, massive audience. Uh, The book for me is an introduction so that more people get to know me. Up until this point though, I've only had a fairly small database and that's enough to generate a substantial income. If you have a good business model and your products and services work, and you focus on that lifetime relationship instead of just generating one-time customers over and over again. Then you can actually have a decent business without going overboard. You don't need to have 5 million Twitter followers to, to do okay. And to some extent, having too much of that could tip the scales sort of to the other side of a little bit crazy. And I imagine some of these celebrities and royals would have a difficult life, they can't just turn it off when they want. They can't just hide in the shadows. I mean, I can still just cruise around town and, uh, and stay relatively low key when I'm passing through airports and stuff. It, occasionally I get recognized, but it's pretty rare. Uh, you know, an Uber driver might recognize me or whatever, but it's nice being a little bit uh, obscured in society. I think it could be harsh if you have too much celebrity and fame. So be, to be careful what you wish for which sort of links back to that whole idea if you start with what you what you want or you wish then it's just a matter of filling the steps to get there
0: <laughs> yeah i think it's more important to be known to the right people than to the general public as a whole right and um i was really impressed because i was one of the people who was privileged enough to get an early copy of your book thank you for that and i noticed that you you follow up with people right away. And I was like studying your follow-up strategy and your email. Uh, I I didn't sign up for your, your offer yet, but, uh, I was really impressed by that. Um, you know, a lot of people will get people, uh, interested and then they just, they never follow up with them. And, um, so I noticed that you do that really well. Uh, I, I assume you have someone on your team who handles that stuff, right?
1: Well, I've got a good support team. I think we put more resource into support than a lot of other businesses. For the size of our business, which is a micro business in the general scheme of things, uh, we have multiple people on our help desk who can follow up every day. We're a a a seven-day-a-week support business because I think this comes from working at Mercedes-Benz. I got brand values that... Uh, are important. I mean, my transactions when I was there were were an average of $100,000. So you should follow people up. (laughs) And it would be (laughs) fair to say that I would treat a Kindle buyer for $4 or $5 the same way that I would treat an AMG buyer. Uh, People are very important to the business. You can't have a business without customers. I want to have a customer for the lifetime, if possible. So I never want to put a wrong foot or do something to make them feel like that they're not valued. I always look after my existing customers before I roll out something to the public. And it's it's important to follow up on your promises and to, you know, if you, if you make offers, I mean, I think it's easy to sell things. It's harder to deliver on them. That's what I've experienced out there in the marketplace. I know people who have <coughs> sold stuff and then just can't deliver it and they're going to end up in an unfortunate... Constant situation.
0: <laughs> yeah. A lot of crowd funds end up that way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, crowd funds are interesting as well. I mean, I think they also appeal to people who just like to to f- sort of buy things or, you know, test it. I wouldn't consider it a, an ideal market validation. And I'm experiencing a really sloppy crowd fund at the moment where it's some kind of a Kickstarter where they didn't reach their target and then they tried to convert people across to a a payment system and they're surprised that only a quarter of the people who said they'd back them on Kickstarter have actually gone and purchased on the cart. And I I don't know why someone would when they didn't reach their Kickstarter funds. So they're pretty much about as shady as you can possibly get in terms of the likelihood of them delivering something anytime in the next year or two. It's more likely they'll just take the money and nothing will happen. So people have to be careful about that. I'm a huge fan of just validating products, not taking investors and um, not needing loans for things. Most of the business models I pursue pay me from day one and have good profit margins. So I think you can do that. And I often use the example of an event. It's actually as easy as booking a room in a hotel and selling you know, two or four or ten tickets for a few hundred dollars each, and there is your first event, the first live event that I sold. Had two people come. <laughs> I still had a job, and I was selling uh, training on how to get a job selling cars, and I was a general manager at the time, and it was like a side gig, and I wrote the sales copy for it, and we ran an ad, and a friend of mine and I, uh, Sean, we went halves on it. I think we got two thousand dollars each from two people so it was four of us in a classroom <laughs> it's a very high teacher to student ratio we guaranteed them a job in the car industry which we fulfilled for both of them and uh, it was a great learning experience and these days I can run events with two or three hundred people in the room who will happily pay a thousand dollars for a ticket and it just goes to show you know when Sean and I go to those events we look around and think gosh isn't this different than how we started But the key is to start. Just start.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I love this saying by, another saying by Tony Robbins he says, you know, you're successful at something if you just give it at your best effort and you learn something from it. And I think that's so important when you're marketing because um, I think as a marketer, you're not really, the best marketers are not really geniuses. They're not smarter than anyone else. They're not better at predicting the market than anyone else. Um, They're simply making more effort. They're making more attempts. They're doing more promotions. They're making more efforts to talk to their customers, basically, right?
1: Well, I wish I could agree with that, but I I would say the better marketers are doing the right things. That's something I would draw from Peter Drucker, who I would place well above Tony Robbins in my own sort of personal scoring system Uh, as a a business leader. He was really uh, quite accurate with his predictions of, what we do now, the knowledge worker, where we get paid for our knowledge to work from home remotely and the collapse of the formal education system. He was talking about this in the 60s. I mean, that's amazing. And he said, it's all about doing the right things. Simpl- you, you don't have to be the brightest person uh, and you do have to take action. However, as you know, I talk about in the book, most of the actions you're doing are completely useless anyway. <laughs> so as, as long <laughs> as you take some action and it's the right action, you'll get a result. So a lot of my focus is on what are the right actions? If we could just do the right actions, we really don't have to do that many actions and uh, we don't have to be the smartest person. But I I would say that some of the people who are doing very well in business, they really are quite smart (laughs) and clever. And if that's because they're doing the right things, then that's the reason they're smart or if it's because they've applied themselves or overcome adversity or they wanted it more, then, then I think that's terrific as well. Uh, but I don't often see complete and utter morons doing too well unless you want to talk about cryptocurrency, which is, <laughs> is the, it's just the current up phase where anyone with a crypto wallet could look like a complete genius, but it will all come to a, a crashing pile of ruin at some point. And uh, then then the real geniuses uh, will emerge, and there, there won't be many.
0: And guys like you, I mean, you've basically created your own economy. So crypto means nothing to you, but the people that are betting on that are kind of playing this roulette wheel where they're just kind of hoping to get lucky, they're hoping for that magical lottery ticket. And it's so scary.
1: I, like- I, I mean, I'd hate to... I'd hate to win the lottery and for that to be the way that I got wealthy, or or to (laughs) inherit a lot of money, uh, and that was the only way that I got wealthy, or that I've that that I made a huge crypto gain and that was all that I got because it's not repeatable. It's not any it's not anything to do with being clever or learning. No sense of achievement. A lesson. It's it's well, it's not repeatable, and I think that's the issue. Like the question begs, then you know what next? And there's Definitely plenty of research to support that lottery winners are pretty much back on their ass a few years later as if nothing ever happened, uh, except for they've ruined most of their relationships. So I I just – I do caution people who are obsessing about this stuff and and spending far too much reactionary time on it. They're literally gambling – and they have no clue as to the fundamentals. And it's funny, like a lot of these ICOs and white papers right now are being exposed as complete cut-and-paste frauds. So the market is so hot, it's crazy. So for someone like me, yes, it's it's just a uh, tiny little side position that, that I might spend five minutes a week on to keep an eye on a, a small portfolio and pay attention to what my students are teaching me because I do coach people in that space, but they're educators, they're not uh, punters.
0: I want to, I'd love to chat with you about crypto and stuff, but I don't want to uh, uh, get too off track here. <laughs> um, I actually, one thing I really wanted to ask you was, um, and you mentioned this earlier uh, in your answer before, and I think this is something you do way better than I do, and you're really good at um well, let me go back here. So, so if someone's listening to this and you know they, they want to know about marketing, but marketing seems like such a big topic, I really like what Dan Norris said. And he says that all businesses grow from conversations. And I find that you're really good at like keeping in contact with everyone that um, has interacted with your brand, that's listened to your podcast or purchased your book. or um, And then you have a lot of different strategies for monetizing that network. Um, how do you, and I noticed that you're really good, like you follow up with me really fast. Um, you're really good at replying to emails. And this is something that I could do a whole lot better. James, can you still hear me? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just okay, listening, yeah. listening to all this praise. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually thinking about um, what you're saying there. And the fact is my inbox is rel- relatively empty because I've got a help desk <laughs> dealing with all the things that I shouldn't be dealing with. So it's very that's important. what
0: I need to know. That's what I need to learn from you So how are you able to keep in touch with these people? So often, you know, like Dan Kennedy says that uh, You should touch your clientele once per week So like 50 52 times a year uh, Because that keeps your fence around your herd strong and I have people that you know They downloaded my book from three four years ago, and I'm not in touch with those people anymore and maybe they're not on my email list, but I wanna be able to be able to interact with these people regularly. Uh, How do you do that so well? How do you keep in contact with these people so well?
1: Well, one system I created I call Own The Race Course, and that is having someone on multiple subscriptions, and I will send fresh information each week or so, new podcast, Uh, they might get it on iTunes, they might get an email, they might get a website, push notification from their browser, they might um, see a tweet or an Instagram, or a Facebook mention. So I've got that omnipresence there in the main channels, and some of those are very leveraged. that I don't have to do anything for that to happen except for record the podcast. In terms of our best customers, we definitely send weekly news to my super fast business members, which has a very high open rate, and our engagement's stratospheric on that. And then for my very best customers, I'm actually speaking to them every single week on a group call, which is what I'm doing straight after this call I get onto a call with them speak to them and listen to them and answer their challenges and set them up for the next week so if, you know you can't do much better than speak to your best customers every single week. okay perfect um,
0: yeah I'm, I'm you know this is something that I feel like in theory like I understand it like um, but I, I have trouble executing it. You know, like whether whether it's all the messages I get or emails I get. And I know that, you know, Keith Farazi, for instance, wrote the book Never Read Alone, says that you should communicate with people through three different forms of communication so that you can deepen the relationship so they feel they can get to know you. Um, and, and I understand it all. I, and, I you know, I try to connect with people on different fronts and stuff. But as far as, like, you know, managing the email, managing the messages, sometimes I don't know who's going to end up being a client or who's going to end up wasting my time. Um, and I feel like I could do a lot better.
1: Well, but I'm, don't, I'm not. Don't worry <laughs> too much about trying to clarify them. Like they, they can sort themselves out. If you have a, a chooser on your homepage, it'll filter them into the right area of your business. But an essential thing that I did probably nine, ten years ago, and I recommend other people do, is get a support desk set up and then hire someone to manage that when when you possibly can and let them do all the things like change credit cards or didn't get my download or um, where can I send a box of chocolates to James or whatever these they're handling all of that stuff so I can now respond to people you know actual people who want to buy something or ask me a question or arrange to be on a podcast I can keep my inbox clean you know it's important that I find out if a domain's going to renew but I don't really need to be able to, to, to be handling a general administration task so for now we had some australian buyers buy a copy of my book i just asked the team to update people with that their books coming this week so they'll log in and update everyone so it's leveraged because i don't have to individually do it but it's definitely getting done and we're offering good service so do you recommend having like an
0: assistant or something that can help you sort through your email and stuff like that
1: i do my own email but again just Pushing things out of the inbox to a support desk is critical. So I'm often Mm. just forwarding an email to my support team, asking them to to do something, and they'll take care of it from there.
0: And do you use something like
1: Zendesk or something like that? Yeah, we use Help Scout. Help Scout, okay.
0: Yeah, this is something I need to figure out, and it's something like I feel like I'm leaving a lot of money on the table Um, and, you know, just, just keeping those conversations going, keeping them going in a direction where I want them to go. And I know that you have a whole lot – like you have a bunch of advanced tactics in your book, Work Less, Make More. You have – I know you talk about one strategy called the – well, you have quite a few strategies, but uh, a strategy called the chocolate wheel where you're able to offer different kinds of products to people. And um, this is one reason why I actually – you were were trashing crowdfunding, but I just did a crowdfund – well, not Okay, I, can, we, can I just ask one question? Yeah, of course. I, yeah,
1: I def, um, definitely want to say there's a there's a place for it, but don't make that the, the primary business model would be my main sort of advice.
0: You have to jump on another call. I just wanted to make a quick point where um, I, I found that you know doing a crowdfund for my book, I had other different kinds of packages that I could offer to people. Instead of forcing them to buy a $2.99 book, they could also purchase other products. And I know you talk about this in your book, but can you just tell me really quickly about um, how to kind of get that full lifetime value from people?
1: Yeah, offer a month. recurring subscription, um, continue to solve their problem for a long time <laughs> is, is one way and solve bigger problems for them. And you can have higher price solutions. And people who buy your book probably buying other things as well. It would be nice to know what those things are and to see if there's some way that you could either supply that or refer them to someone who can supply that for a commission as an affiliate and that's a big part of our business is getting affiliate commission for tools and software that we're not going to create. I'm not going to create a shopping cart, but I'm happy to recommend the one we use and get a referral fee for that.
0: Excellent. Well, I know that you have to uh, jump on your mastermind call after this and uh, we're going a little bit long on this call, but uh, I know you have lots of examples in your book that's work less, make more, uh, where do you recommend people go if they want to uh, get more information from you? Or uh... well, gra-
1: Grab that book on Amazon. That will be a fantastic start. Uh, if you want to hear my podcast or join the membership, then superfastbusiness.com is, a, is where you can choose the right product um, or service. You know, there's free subscription, of course, to the podcast. That's a great starting point and you'll get expanded versions. You'll hear podcasts from people like Danny.
0: Yes, on how to improve your sleep, correct?
1: Yes, and you know, sleep made it into my book. It's so important.
0: Yeah, I, I find that willpower is the most important form of energy. And you actually mentioned this in your book that managing energy, not time, is the most important thing in terms of effectiveness. And I've written a little bit about that because um, you know hours spent on a task is not really important. It's like, how engaged are you in the task? How well can you perform? And you mentioned like performing as well as an Olympic athlete, for instance. And I find that sleep is really important for harnessing that willpower. If you're not sleeping enough, uh, it's going to make everything worse. So check out my podcast with James about sleep hacking. And, um, yeah, so that's a super fast business podcast and the book Work Less, Make More. Thank you so much for your time and being so generous with your knowledge, James. It's always a pleasure to chat with you.
1: Thank you, Danny. It's always great and uh, appreciate very much the opportunity to come and talk about these ideas.
0: Thank you again, James, and take care.